I'm glad to be back in the pulpit. I was here last Sunday, and I preached just the second or one service, and it was quite fatiguing. I've had an experience this summer that has been quite enlightening. Uh, how many of you know we should learn as we go through? Want to uh, want you to listen this morning to a message that I believe is important for the day in which we live. Uh, turn to Psalm 105 if you want to. Uh, Use your Bible or your iPad or telephone or uh, all the media that we have today. I just I just ask you to honor the house of the Lord and not be playing games with somebody on your phone across the sanctuary. <laughs> I think that's dishonorable. <laughs> um, I want to read to you some scripture that that just gives a little little small kind of a small window into a young man's life. But I want you to pay particular attention to the words. Ladies and gentlemen, every word in God's book is important, amen? And I love to take those words and and to see the, the scope of what God is saying. Psalm 105 is a psalm about remembering that God keeps His promises. And as you start, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds, sing to Him, glorify His name, seek the Lord. Verse 5, remember His marvelous works. It's talking about remembering the major things that God has done for Israel and for us. You get down to about verse 13, when they went from one nation to another, it's talking about Israel's travels through the Old Testament. And then when you get to verse 17, it, start, it, it just opens a picture of a young man's life. How many of you remember in the Old Testament the major figure called Joseph? Joseph is a major figure, and I, I love the his story. So let's look at verse 17. As the thanks and the promises and what God has done, suddenly here's this picture of what God did in a young man's life. Verse 17. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He, the ruler, made him, Joseph, lord of his house to bind the princes at his pleasure and teach his elders wisdom. We're going to see some things about Joseph this morning that I want us to see in our own lives because I believe in the last day it's important that God have a strong witness on planet earth. How many of you know that's our assignment? Father, bless your word today. I pray that we hear. I pray, Father, we not only hear, but may it affect our lives. For, Father, we're, we're a needy people in our nation. Lord, we are most, most needed in this society. Let us be light and let us be salt while we are here. And let us have savor. I pray it to glorify our King. Amen. In March, I received some bad news that I had cancer in my body. It was not my cancer. I don't own it. Satan owns it. And I, I just despise the fact that he put that in me. How many of you know that cancer and sickness is not of the Lord? This sin-cursed planet, Satan does some things. and I suddenly got some really tough news that there was a really tough situation. I had prayed for several years and... That had not changed, had not changed. And then 
I suddenly received news that an entirely different cancer of an entirely different kind of cell structure had invaded my body. I will tell you, I know Satan when he attacks. In just a day's, two, two, two days' time, I, actually three days' time, I, I just decided that I would have the doctor. I thank God for doctors, don't you? How many of you are glad for modern medicine? Don't sell short our medical people and our scientists. If we, if we have a problem today, ladies and gentlemen, it's much better to be treated for something today than it was 60, 80 years ago. And I thank God for doctors and nurses. I hate needles and knives, but I love you. <laughs> and I thank God for you. In that early spring, I had, I had started a special journey. It has been physically, let me say mentally, spiritually enlightening. I thought that I had compassion on someone who had been through surgery, but today you can multiply that numerous times. I thought that I understood people on medication, but I've learned when you experience it yourself. And by the way, that's the excuse today. If I say something, it's medicine. If I say something wrong, it's medicine, okay? From now on, the rest of my life, it's got to be medicine. No, I'm kidding. God takes us through things and through chapters, and I think we should learn, we should... I always try to find in every chapter of my life, I want to find God's purpose. Because nothing happens to a twice-born man or woman but what God is not working in us. And if we'll be faithful to do good in our lives, that's a promise. How many of you know Romans 8.28? All things work together for good to them. Not everybody. Them who love God and those who are called according to His purpose and those who live to glorify Him. Wow, that's such a promise. Everybody wants to claim it, but you have to be qualified to get that blessing. Well, aren't you glad you're in the sheepfold? Wow. I look for God's purpose. I also, when I'm in a test, I get in the Word. I say, Lord, I want to know. Give me your perspective on this. Speak to my heart. Speak to my soul. Speak to my mind. Tell me, God, I want to know what's going on. And today I'm convinced That you and I, like Esther of old, I believe that you and I are here in the kingdom for such a time as this. You're not here by accident, young people. Everybody in these pews this morning are here with a God calling upon you. And I'm convinced that as a pastor and a church and a people, we must move forward. But we must move forward purposely, faithfully, with tremendous determination. For we have a last day devil that is seeking whom he may devour. And he's searching, ladies and gentlemen. I'm convinced that you and I are in the kingdom for this. But we must be in the kingdom today with our coming with our Lord's glory in mind and lost souls in our focus. Our purpose is to glorify Christ and win others to the kingdom. Say amen. Say it with some enthusiasm. You don't have to have any idea how many people are out there that need God, and you may be the very person that makes that happen. This morning, through the message, I want us to be conscious and submissive, let me say open, and I want us to be yielded to God's design upon our lives. The last year and a half or so, the Lord has so put upon my mind to keep talking to you about being God's will, being God's will, being God's will. Above all things, make sure every decision you make is made because you feel like it's the will of God. 
Don't get married just because of, of, of love and affection. And let me just go ahead and say hormones. You need to get married because it's God's will for your life. Come on, parents, say amen. And by the way, there is something that's wrong. Uh, there's something a lot worse than not being married, and one of them is being married to the wrong person. Say that with enthusiasm. Amen. Wow. God has a purpose for your life, but it has to be in His will. So I want to bring you to the Old Testament for something like this. You remember Israel had been in the desert wilderness for 40 years. A generation had died off. And now it is time for Israel to go claim the promise given all the way back to Moses, even though Joshua was the new leader. And God, and God spoke to Joshua, and he said these words, a two-word command. We're going to move you from this wilderness and finally get into the Canaan's land. It's, they will occupy cities they did not build, homes they did not build. They will, they will glean from harvest that they did not sow. God is literally handing them a world on a silver platter. But there's a, there's a, there's a condition that, that causes God to use us or not use us. God wanted to prepare these people for that land. He gave them a two-word command. Finally ready to enter Canaan, God said to them these two words. You tell them, Joshua. He did not say dress up. He did not say make sure you have the right $140 pair of tennis shoes on. He did not say move out. He did not say all those things. I could just be facetious about it. He said two words. And I say that to tell you this. He said, tell the people to sanctify themselves. Sanctify themselves. If you don't understand the word sanctify, it simply means this. That is a Hebrew word that says this vessel, this object is set aside strictly for one purpose and that one purpose is to be used for the glory and the worship of God. There were cups. There were vessels. There there were uh, baskets of silver. There were many things that were made for strictly in the worship of God in the sanctuary. They were used for nothing else. Some for the priests, some for the high priests. God is taking that picture and He's saying to me and you, as He did Joshua that day, we're about ready to see the end of these things. I call the church today with a two-word command, sanctify yourselves. Let me add some clarity to that. You can no longer be like the world. You must talk differently. You must walk differently. You must live differently than this world. Young people, you're on a campus that needs your testimony. Mom and Dad, you're at work where your testimony is needed. And I want to tell you, Satan is seeking whom he may devour. We're in a war. And God says, I want you warriors to be cleansed so my power can reside in your life. Sanctify yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, in the 21st century, God will have a remnant of people. And just before the sound of Trump, of God, that takes the church out of this society, that declaration is for us. I want to say again, ladies and gentlemen, young people, sanctify yourselves today. And listen, sanctifying your life will answer many, many, many questions in your life. Sanctifying your life will help you do the will of God. I want to go back to Psalm 105. It's a pocket edition, a biography of the life of Joseph. 
Joseph's story is an account of three things. I could make three points here and preach this. His account, his story is this, how God makes a man. Second point is how God grows a leader. And thirdly is how God matures a believer. How many of you know that God wants to make us powerful? As men and women and young people for God. He wants to grow us as leaders. Young people, do not be followers, be leaders. God's called you to be a witness. Mom and dad say amen. Wow. God has called us. And He wants to, to, to grow us. He wants to make us good leaders. He wants to mature us as believers. Which means we don't act like the rest of the world. I've said it all my life, all my ministry is true. And especially in Pentecost. doesn't matter how loud you shout. It doesn't matter even how many glossolalia and tongue speaking, interpretation and prophecies and all the gifts of the Spirit. That doesn't necessarily show what kind of genuine Christian you are. If you really want to know what you are in Christ, it's how you respond to what happens to you. Because we can't control what happens to us. But according to this book, full of the power and the grace of God, we can determine how we respond to it. So I want to say it again. I say it so often. And I know this goes over like a pork chop in a synagogue. But we like to say, I just can't help myself. I just can't help myself. According to the book, you and God are a majority. You can always do what's right. Well, let's pray the benediction. That's good enough, isn't it? Wow. (laughs) This story is a process. But watch this. Verse 17 says, He sent a man before them. This was the assignment like Douglas MacArthur. This is the Winston Churchill assignment. And Joseph's story is a picture of God's progress. Joseph, like us, was a very unlikely prospect. You know, when I look back, when I was a young man, and way back obscure in the farm place, and going to a little two-room school for eight years, finally to a school where I would graduate with 42 in my class. I mean, I'm like backwoods, right? Thank you for not shouting there. God didn't get much when He called me. As a matter of fact, I, I, I felt so humbled because from the country and... From my perspective, we didn't have much compared to a lot of other people. When I felt the call of God on my life, I said, couldn't possibly be. I can't make that. I can't do that. I'm not good enough for that. I'm not intelligent enough and all through the process. I was an unlikely prospect. But I want thank God for the Word. Amen. Moses felt the same way. Elisha, and on and on I could talk about. Here's Joseph. Listen to what an unlikely prospect for the call of God. Young people, listen. I keep wanting to say you and God are a majority because I want to tell you God has a plan for your life. And we have a tendency as human beings of making that quite a lot smaller than God intends. I want to tell you God, can, if you'll give God your life and get in His will, He'll cause you to do things you may never have imagined yet. Amen. Don't limit God. Give Him first chance at your life. But he was an unlikely prospect. Here he is. He's 17 years old. He's mom's pet. He's spoiled rotten by dad. He built him a a big flashy sports coat that had many colors in it. He had 10 brothers that were all muscled up and ranch hands. And here he was, a spoiled brat. And and they, they 
the ten brothers that were all bulked up and all that, they provoked the softy. They didn't like him. Joseph spent his time dreaming. And let me tell you a mistake he made. He kept telling everybody about his dreams. Sometimes you should not share your dream with people that don't understand godly matters. Here he was, dreaming. No hard work for this kid. No, no, no field hand here. He was an unlikely prospect for who's who in eternity. And yet he became one of Israel's greatest statesmen, one of his greatest teachers, one of the most noted figures in Scripture. Listen to verse 21 and 2. He made him lord of his house, the king did, ruler over his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his will, uh, elders wisdom. That's quite an assignment for a not a very good prospect. Ladies and gentlemen, our education system, and sad to say many of our homes today, we, we spend a great amount of time in school and elder, all the other activities trying to develop human bodies. We are almost worshiping sports today beyond measure. And I love sports. I love football. I played football, basketball, baseball. I love all that, and that's all good and fine. But I want to tell you something. In comparison, we spend little time teaching our children and our young people about God and genuine character and absolute integrity. Much less manners and chivalry. I won't embarrass anybody, but I'd like to ask some of the younger generation, do you know what the word chivalry means? but I won't. And if you don't, ask your mom and dad. If they don't know, I'll give them some teachers so we can find out. I still believe chivalry is the right attitude about life. You know what that means, guys? When you're dating that most beautiful, lovely girl that's got every paint and body smear that she can put on to make her as lovely as she can be, all the powders right and the perfumes right, and you, you're going to go take her out on a date and you drive up. Don't you dare honk that stinking horn. If you want to know what chivalry is, get out. Go to the front door, dress nice, smelling good on your own. And by the way, guys wear cologne, girls wear perfume. Don't they? I got it right. Knock on that door. Impress her parents. I'm the finest thing since Wheaties I should be on this month's issue. Look at me, hair in place, I'm dressed nice, and you can rest assured, I will court your daughter, I will lead her to the car, I will sit her in that car, I will sit her at restaurant, I will, I'm telling you, I will do whatever's nice for your baby. I want to tell you, that's pretty good for parents. But you mistreat her, it's a good thing I didn't have a daughter. It is a good thing I didn't have a daughter. <laughs> That's called chivalry, and mom and dad teach you about it more. But our education system, ladies and gentlemen, teaches little character. We need to be reminded that education, though it's wonderful for 70, 80 years, is only for that brief amount of time. But what of our inner being, and what about our eternity? Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said this in chapter 4, Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now and of that which is to come. This is a rehearsal stage. 
We're on the stage. The curtain will drop. It will open again. A new cast will be there and we will be gone. And it's what we do while we're the characters on the stage that we will give an account for. Make sure your priorities are right. Watch this. Goliath could have been an all-American star in United States of America. How many would you like to have Goliath on the uh, Olympic team? Wow. Wow. You know, all that stuff. But David was a giant inside. God took this Joseph, a loud, sports-coated, teenage dreamer, and made Israel one of his greatest leaders out of him. And the training began. Let me read you how the training started, verse 18. They hurt, well, he was sold, verse 17, he was sold as a slave. 18, they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Wow, what a description of boot camp. Here he is. He was kidnapped. He was betrayed, sold by his brothers into slavery. He was put in prison. And on and on, you hope you know the story. In the natural, you would think that that would sour him. You would think that would discourage him. This is a 17-year-old teenager, and he for 13 years was treated like that. How many of you know that we're pretty soft compared to that? We don't want anything going against us at all anymore, do we? How many of you know that we want a pill before we get a pain? Well, I had one laugh out of it, Mark. Thank you. He hit the slave market on the Nile. I ask you a question. What good were his dreams in the slave market on the Nile? Let me tell you, Joseph hit what I call life in the raw. No mother out there to run to and pet him and say, I'm so sorry, son, you'll get better. Here's a Band-Aid. Mercurochrome, monkey blood. How many of you know what those things are? You have to know the Greek like I do to get that out of there. No dad to excuse him, say, son, I'm just sorry. You've broken a sweat. You can just consider yourself in recess now. He was all alone. All alone. So I want to ask a question. Why didn't Joseph fail? Why for 13 years of being treated like a slave in and out of prison, for 13 years this young man took life on the chin? I want us to hear it. I want, I want you to get this word. What happened to Joseph's life in those 13 years is what discourages hell. It stands against everything the enemy designs against you. And the lower this young man sank, the more robust became his faith. Hell threw everything he could throw at Joseph. But I want to know an answer to the question, what kept him? What kept this young man? Parents, mom and dad, young people, verse 18. The first part said this, they hurt his feet with fetters. The next part is what I want to talk about today. In the Hebrew, it said, he was laid in irons. In that Hebrew word, he was laid in irons, that means that he had metal cuffs and metal things that bound him like chains around him. But there's a marginal reference also that when that happened to him, the marginal reference says he was laid 
in chains, in iron, but that iron entered his soul. You know what that means? That when that happened to him, not only outside, but he was changed on the inside. Sometimes we run from every inconvenient thing and every pain that we can. And it's the very thing sometimes that God has in mind to put some iron in our soul. Young people, mom and dad, when God puts that kind of a gift in you, He builds character. He builds a temperament in you. And that doesn't come from a soft mattress. And it doesn't come from avoiding hard work. God puts that temperament from a school of hard knocks and from a disciplined living. An impartation of the gift of God that you learn because you didn't run from everything uncomfortable. So let me explain this. Young people, the reason mom and dad tell you to clean your room, and I think every teenager ought to keep their room ready for the president to visit. Did you say amen or shout or anything? I I wanted my room perfect. As a matter of fact, I would... You have to understand, we had to take our laundry out to the garage to have it laundered because we didn't have washers and dryers. It was done by hand in tubs. Do you guys know what a rub board is? Do you? Good. Do you know what bluing is? How many of you know what bluing is? Do you know what bluing is? I'm impressed. Anyway, how many of you know what starch used to be? (laughs) Uh, What do you call those metal things you used to put in pants? Stretchers? What do you call them? I don't know. I remember my mom did it. That's all I know. But here's the point. God will take a time. I, I, I wanted my room clean. And I, I did that because if I had company or somebody, I didn't want to be embarrassed. And let me just tell you the truth, and my sisters probably may be on Facebook today. I don't know if they should be in church. They'll be in church somewhere. But if they see this, I'm going to hit them. They're going to go, why did you get up there and say that? Because it's true. They didn't keep their room nearly as neat as I kept mine. It wasn't just out of pride. It was because I was taught integrity. Listen, I went to the United States Army in basic. They didn't teach me how to say sir and ma'am. They didn't teach me how to make a mattress and flip a quarter on it to bounce. I knew that by the time I was 10 years old. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so here's, here's all this building of God inside this young man. And here's the truth. Joseph learned things that mom should have taught him at home. He learned things that dad should have taught him at home. So carry out the garbage. So throw your clothes in the dirty clothes hamper. So mow the yard. Go weed eat it. Go edge it. If you don't have a weed eater, use scissors. <laughs> Something. Listen, he, he learned how to, how to farm and Potiphar. If you read the scripture, drove him. And yet Joseph mastered farming. You know why? Because God has a plan. There's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of drought. And this is the man that's going to show him how to grow it and show him how to save it to keep an entire nation from starving. God has a much bigger picture in mind for you tomorrow than you know today. He learned some other things. 
He learned that deceit and underhanded business scandals are plentiful even in political places. He learned that betrayal and immorality and cheapness of spirit are also in high places even in the king's household. Joseph crossed the boss's wife. A scorned woman sent him to prison. And let me declare to you today, everybody's looking for the palace, but I'm going to tell you something. (laughs) A prison (laughs) is a far cry from the palace and big dreams that you had when you were 15. Ladies and gentlemen, every young people, every Christian must know the palace of sonship. Thank God for it. But I'm going to tell you something. Every Christian is a target of Satan for an appointment for prison because it's only after prison that you will ever appreciate the palace. One of the most important lines in God's Word is verse 19. I want you to look at it. It answers many of the questions of life. It answers a question for me. It has for parents and grandparents. Young people, maybe you, if not, the Lord tarries for your future. Don't miss this. Verse 19. Until the time that His Word came to pass. That's what God had told him when he was a teenager. Until that Word came to pass, that same Word of the Lord tested him. Ladies and gentlemen, the untils of our lives belong to God. They don't belong to me. They don't belong to you. I've sort of said this in just a lot of times. How many of you have done it with me? I've asked God numerous times, numerous times to wear my watch. God, do you know what what time it is? Lord, I mean, how long? How many of you how many of you know that that belongs to God? God watched over Joseph though. He watches over us. When our faith and our character is ready, ladies and gentlemen, this much I've learned, God's already moved. He's already out in front of you. But sometimes He has to wait until we get our character and our faith and our integrity in the right place. Job had it. Job had it. Job had it. His entire life seemed to contradict everything he believed. And yet, in, in spite of everything that Satan could throw at him, I will tell you this much. Job had that iron in his soul. Here's what he said. I think this is holy ground. This is where, like Moses, we ought to take our shoes off. Here's a man, wealthiest man in our city. Mr. Job owned thousands thousands of cattle and camels and sheep. Mr. Job owned all the land. He owned all the buildings. But today, Mr. Job is in the garbage dump. He's taking broken pieces of potsherds and scraping boiled wounds all over his body. Elephantias was eating his body up. Listen to the iron in his soul. Though God slay me, yet will I trust him. Mom and dad, youth, that is the genuine conviction and a confession of a true champion. I told a young man this morning, Talking about being strong and stout and macho and being able to play football and taking things. And then I thought, you know what, that's all good and fine. But I told that young man, I said, I'm more interested in what's inside that heart now than anything else we've talked about. Amen? 
But I will tell you this, you're going to be tried by the enemy. And when you're tried, then it becomes thrilling to read, My God shall supply all your need. But look at the bank balance. Look at the circumstance that sets up before you. Satan will try your mind, and he will try your emotions. Will he not? You will desire to join Elisha when he cried out, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Let's see, Elijah did seven miracles. God's promised me that I'll do 14, and I'm in such a bind here, and I'm getting beat up as far as I'm concerned. Where is God that gave him the seven if I'm supposed to have 14? Until the integrity and the character gets built like it's supposed to, ladies and gentlemen, you're in the until. In the New Testament, it sounds like this. I hope you know the story. The Syrophoenician lady, she's, she's a Greek. She's, she's a Gentile. She's outside the commonwealth of Israel. Jesus came to the kingdom of Israel first and then to the Gentile. That is coming. But that's not here yet. And this woman approached Christ. Boy, let me tell you, she recognized who Christ was. She knew he had authority. She knew he was a prophet. She knew he was a son of God. And she walked up to him and she said, I want you to deliver my daughter. Well, as much I know, she came to the right person and she asked the right question. The problem is she came before the right time. But here's what he said. Watch this. Jesus said to her, it's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. I want you to know that most modern Gentiles would have quit right there. How many of you know that that would be considered today absolute political insanity? No political correctness. If you just stay on the surface of the word, you miss it. But what Christ was telling her... I came. I'm coming to, to break the curse of all this old covenant. But it's not here yet. I haven't been crucified yet. This will come. But that lady that had iron in her spirit turned to the Christ and said, Yes, even the dogs under the table get the crumbs. And Jesus was so moved by her spirit. He said, Father, we have to speed up this covenant. We, we, Lord, we must make an exception here. God, she has iron in her spirit. Her faith is undaunted. And because of that, Christ turned to her daughter and He said, be free. And instantly she was free. I want to tell you, it moves the heart of God when we have iron in our faith. Ladies and gentlemen, like it or not, there's going to be some entails in your life. But the good news is this, God is building us, God is preparing us, God is developing us. And when the until came, I want you to listen, when the until came, let's go back to the 15, 16 year old prophesying dreamer. Let's go back when the until came, look at verse 20, the king sent him and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possession to bind his princes at his pleasure and teach all his elders wisdom. I want to tell you, everything God gave Joseph in a dream came true because the until had arrived. Every one of us here sitting with ordered steps this morning in this room. I love this. Suddenly, the had been slave, watch this, 
the had been slave at a command was suddenly had sovereign power of an entire nation. Think about that. I was privileged Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock to go to the United States Courthouse downtown Oklahoma City. My nephew was commissioned and appointed by President Trump to be the United States Attorney over the West District of the entire state of Oklahoma. Quite a prestigious thing. Family was invited to probably 250, 300 people in the courtroom. It was an awesome, the, the, all these tremendously educated people, probably 30 attorneys and some 150 people that are employed and they just got a new boss. And we were going to swear him in. U.S. senators, state representatives, all these people were there. You know what? It does you good sometimes to dress up nice and just go be around some class stuff, I guess. But you wondered what the temperament would be. The judges came in, sat down at the bench, and the senators came and sat down. The gavel hit, and we were called to order. But I want to tell you, for the next hour and a half, I sat and watched as attorney after attorney, judge after judge, began to address this young man. You know what I heard? I heard, to have this job, you must have a high calling. To have this position, you must be a person of integrity. To be able to speak to the laws and the constitution of this nation, you must have character. And every one of those men and women pointed back to the fact, I've known you when you worked in the governor's office, when you were representative, when you worked in, in Washington, D.C. for Jay Sekulow for four or five years when you got your Jewish doctorate. This young man, my nephew, they, they commended him, said, we've watched your work. We've watched you walk through these things. Thanks for the integrity and the Christian background. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. God still has some good people around. Tim got up, recognized everybody, reached over and pointed to everybody in that room, and he said, I'm here for one major reason. Yes, college. Yes, doctorate. Yes, studying. Yes, parents. Yes, all that. But he said, I'm really here for one reason, and that is my 92-year-old grandmother, my mom. Every time I've ever seen her since... I was a child, would say, I'm praying for you, young man. I'm praying for you, young man. And he said, I'm here today because grandmother prayed for me. Suddenly, Joseph had sovereign powers. God made no exception for his son. The divine order is always this. Don't miss this. Here's another three-point message. No extra charge. Here's what God's going to do in your life, young people. He's going to bless you, then He's going to test you, and then He's going to ask you to serve. Blessing, testing, serving. Say it with me. Blessing, testing, serving. Watch this. Young people, don't miss this. Jesus spared not, God spared not His only Son, but delivered Him up for us all. Jesus was baptized. That was a blessing. He was tempted. That was His testing. And then He was crucified. And he did accomplish God's purpose for his life. 
And iron literally filled the bone and the muscle and the sinews driven into the body of God's Son. And thousands and thousands of times hell opposed him and proposed that he rescind his assignment. Hell screamed to Jesus, give up. It said to him, "Why? what's the use? You'll never make it. Just call 10,000 angels and get rid of all this problem. They said, look at what you've done. It's not worth it. Look at what it's costing you. I think I hear Satan himself whispering like a serpent. You lived it perfectly. You never made a mistake. No jealousy, no envy, no vile, no nothing of that nature. And look where it's got you. You're being driven to a piece of wood by iron. But I want to tell you something. When iron enters your soul, this is what you will say. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. There is never, there is no resurrection without a Gethsemane. To really accomplish something worthwhile in life will cost you and it will cost you dearly. Here's what happens to most society today, even in the church world. We try to jump from blessing to serving. We want to skip the testing. Blessing, testing, serving. But hear me. If you jump from blessing to serving, your service will be defective. I want to say this. I drove just yesterday by a church. I won't tell you where. Had on its sign something like this. God doesn't expect you to be your best. He expects you just to do your best. I want to tell you, I think that is exactly opposite. And I know they meant well. I know they're trying to say, well, just do the best you can. But I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. We can do far more than the best we can because through the strength of God, we can do all things. But let me tell you why. You've heard me say this many times. Our problem in our world today is we pay billions and millions and billions of dollars to people for what they can do. God does not put a premium on near what we do compared to what we become. And the desire of God is to become like Christ. Obedience. Dying to self. Becoming what we should be. Here's why. If you become what you should be, then you will do what you should do. But if you're not what you're supposed to be, no matter what, you will not do what you're supposed to be. So I believe the sign's wrong. I think God expects you to be what He wants you to be. Then you'll do what you're supposed to be. Matthew 11 and 12. The kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violence take it by force. Sometimes, young people, mom and dad, sometimes if we're in the middle of the until, we just have to say, here I am and here I stay. When Satan tries to destroy your family and take your teenagers and put them on a disobedient path, you have to say, Satan, get behind me. You are an offense to me. I think parents have to Grandparents sometimes have to. There was an old song years ago written. Some people want to build a want to build a mission within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to build a mission a yard from the gate of hell. 
Sometimes you have to park what you think is a yard from the gate of hell to keep Satan from doing what he's doing. But ladies and gentlemen, when the until finishes, you are an authority with iron in your spirit by the Spirit of God himself. You foul spirit out of hell, I bring every power and authority from God in his kingdom, and I stand against you with everything in my being. A few years ago, my wife and I were asked to counsel. It's been a long, long, long time ago. Some people who were far more prominent, affluent, far more educated than us. We met at a restaurant, sat for two hours. I'm just glad they don't charge rent on booths, don't you? Aren't you glad? Sat there for probably two hours trying to help these people. I'm, I'm the preacher here, you know. I'm the holier one. I'm the intellectual one. I'm all that. I'm trying to help these people. I'm being facetious. You know what they did when we got ready to leave? Instead of asking the man of God, the man of God, they said to my wife, why don't you pray? Does that seem right to you? I'm just kidding. You. We talked about two, two and a half hours. It was a couple. And the lady said, would you pray with us before we leave? Ask my wife. And I'll just tell you, we were in Charleston's restaurant and but I'm not ashamed of the gospel, are you? We bowed our heads and my wife prayed. Boy, let me tell you, the anointing of the Lord came on her. And when it did, this lady, she said, Oh, my Lord, I've been in church my entire life. You scared me. I have never heard anybody speak with that kind of authority. That scared me from my inside out. I want to tell you something. The power of God is an awesome thing. Here's the good news. God will partner with us. Paul said it like this when Satan came in like a flood. Listen to Paul, teenagers, mom and dad. I'm sitting here watching Satan try to destroy my body. But I'm going to say to him, just like Paul, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I'm still doing the purpose for which God has put me on this planet. Here's the instructions for every one of us. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all things unto Him, Christ, who is the head, our Christ. I want to tell you something. In obedience, you and I are under a divine appointment with a divine destiny. Pastor, do you ever get discouraged? Absolutely. But I'm on a divine destiny ordered by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Ladies and gentlemen, there aren't enough devils and demons in hell to keep God from accomplishing what He wants to accomplish in my life. Or yours. Your purpose is far higher than where you are today. 
far higher than where you are. God wants to put an unction on you and let you speak into a pagan society. God wants to give you wisdom and, and discernment. And, and listen, human. I'm taking some time, but listen, human wisdom today is missing the mark. Human wisdom say, why not just let everybody live like they want to? Why not put it? Why put any restriction? And the human reason of the United States today is this: Why do I have to obey the law? They don't have a right to tell me anything. Nobody's a, listen. You do away with the law, we are in pandemonium. Read Romans 13. God laid it down. Every one of us are to be subjected to the government that He established so that you and I can live in freedom and in liberty. And you take the law and throw it out and you put the law enforcement officers and the military out. We, we, we destroy ourselves within a matter of days. This political situation in this world right now, ladies and gentlemen, is so messed up in the United States. We're in danger. We are in danger. Pastor, well, I wanted to hear some good news. Let me tell you something. For we who are believers, for we who have been tempered, for we who, who've been through the, the test, we've been blessed, we've been tested. Instead of it being sad news, it's good news. You know why? Because now it's our time to serve with the right credentials. Iron in our spirit. I love you, sir. I love you, ma'am. But you are blinded by an enemy. And you may, not, you may try to think your way through it, but down in your heart, you know that you know that you know and God's using my life to try to reach you. I beg you to know our God because the end is at hand. The end is at hand. God, put some iron in our spirit. That's our prayer.